0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Oh, thanks, Isaiah. That's good. Cody, good to see you. Gota. good to see you in the back there. We watched uh, Liverpool win yesterday. It's a good victory. It was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yesterday. Man, I feel like I've done a lot of things this weekend. went to the Sweet corn Festival. I felt sick watching some of you guys do your oh, sweet. yeah, pumpkin festival. Let's try this again. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Went went to the pumpkin festival, and uh, yeah, just uh, only saw a couple pumpkins. Very at the very end, it's pretty disappointed. I was hoping to see lots of pumpkins. Yeah, I got to go. Where? I believe it. I believe that's true. Hey, if we haven't met yet. Uh, Alec, he just keep talking. He's probably still talking. <clears throat> uh, my name is Mike Clunkey. I'm one of the pastors here in Cornerstone. And uh, I just, I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad to be here with you guys. Um, next weekend, you don't want to show up here next weekend because we won't be here. Um, we're going to be, as Alec said, fall retreating. And if you, haven't, if you haven't signed up yet, I just, I hope you would consider joining me. Join us at, at the fall retreat. Um, I, I really want you to go because I really think that God is going to do some, some pretty cool things there. And uh, I also think we're a pretty cool group of people. So, I just want to get to know you. And, um, and so, join us. Join us. If you, can't, if you can't make the fall retreat and you haven't been to a corner uh, yet, this is where we get to know each other a little bit more intimately, and we'd love to have you. We, we just want to help you get plugged in somewhere. Um, the journey that God has you on is not meant to be done alone. Uh, God designed us to be in relationship and in community, and it's in community that He does a restoration process in our lives. And uh, we're just here to help you make significant um, connections with God. And in a community of faith, that's really where those, the significant connections will happen, and that's really what we want. Um, we're, we are, we're also committed to providing uh, an atmosphere of increasing intimacy with your Heavenly Father. So here on Sunday mornings, we want to open up the Word and want to walk into the story of God's love for you so that you you not only find Him, but in doing so, you find yourself through Him. And this morning, I want to finish talking about the kingdom by inviting us into the story God tells us about what the future dimension of the kingdom will look like. And I'm going to read two verses, and I just want you to to listen to them. They'll be the springboard for where we're going to go this morning, and then I'm going to pray. These verses are found in the last chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring in your name remain. From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Father, we just we pause at this point in our service, in our day, in our week. Father in heaven, we tell you that we adore you. Lord Jesus, if we don't yet adore you, I I pray that you would show up in, in unmistakable ways, that we might see your work in our lives, experience your tenderness and your compassion so that we would say, God, I need you. And Jesus, give us a glimpse of how we were made for you that you would call us to worship you, and by following you, we would lose our life in order to find it. In the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. I really like the wilderness. Uh, There's something about being in the untamed wild that just ignites me. Every time our family's out in leadership training in Colorado, Michelle allows me the opportunity to go backpacking, I've gone alone. I've gone with other people. Um, one year, I was backpacking with uh, my co-pastor Matt in the back there, and we were, we were miles deep into this less-traveled area of Rocky Mountain National Park, and Matt had the responsibility to go and hang our food in a tree. I was doing something at camp, maybe getting some firewood because you could actually have a fire um, in this particular area, and uh, and, and just minutes later, he comes flying out of the woods, saying, "Get your phone out." <laughs> All I could think about was, "There's a mountain lion chasing him, and we're dead. This is it. This is it." He should have said, "Get your knife," uh, but maybe he wants to record the last moments together, so our wives can find the mountain lion and grab our knives and avenge our death. Maybe that's what he wanted to to happen. It it was a moose. Matt walked into a moose. I mean, he didn't literally walk into a moose, but he came upon a moose and the moose was there just chomping on some aspen leaves. And it was beautiful. It was majestic. And it was like this this moment of awe. We just stared at this moose and we didn't we didn't say anything. We didn't need to say anything. And backpacking is one of the ways that I, I seek God. It allows my heart to, to just be still before Him. And when I'm away from all the noise and all the distractions and the beeps and buzzes, I, I like to get alone and I, I look for God in His creation. And during those times, I spend a considerable amount of time in, in Scripture. I spend a lot of time in prayer. I spend a good amount of time in silence. And it's during those times that God speaks to me. It's during those times of deep heart introspection that the Lord shows up. And I hear Him say when when I'm with Him, I'm pleased with you, Mike. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I picked you, Mike. You're my child. I adopted you. And what I read in Scripture and hear in prayer is that God loves me, and because He loves me, He wants to restore me. And what an amazing and terrible thing to hear. Amazing because the tenderness of, of the love of God has, has just left me weeping at, at times for no other reason than I'm just amazed at His kindness. And terrible because He gets really specific about the things that He is working on and restoring in my life. Last week, uh, Michelle and I had, for us, a fairly long and drawn-out conflict over something that if I told you, you might say, huh, I know real people argued about something like that. (laughs) But the activating issue wasn't, wasn't the issue at all. It was all the things that are underneath, all the fears and beliefs and lies and pain that's packed into each one of our hearts. And that is what got paraded in front of each one of us. You see, for me, I've wrestled with anger for 20 years. 20 years ago, God began to reveal in me, through my relationship with Michelle, how unbelievably angry I am and how unbelievably sad I am and how ashamed I am about my anger. So during this last kerfuffle, as she was leaving to go pick up my son Luke from football practice, she said, I know you're trying to tell me that you're sad about what I said, but you don't sound sad, you don't look sad, you look and you sound angry. And uh, she left, and the dinner menu was tacos, short story. I just cook all the meat in the house, and I stood there alone at the stove taking out some aggression on some ground turkey. (laughs) She got home, we ate, And then we went to be alone to try to work out what had happened. And very gently, she invited me to share my heart about where I was wounded by something she had said. And it was a very kind and tender invitation. And we were able to work through the issue from earlier. And then I confessed to her that I felt so ashamed when she told me that I sounded angry. I told her after she left, all I wanted to do was run away, I just wanted to hide. And through, through tears, I grieve that I'm still struggling with anger in my life. 20 years. You know what she didn't say? Yeah, you should be. 20 years I've put up with this crap. You should be frustrated. It was funny. If you ever had a conversation with my wife, she's the sweetest thing. She would, like, she would never say that, um, except if you're playing a game, she's fierce, okay? That's what she didn't say. What she did say unlocked a door of hope. She said, it's okay to struggle with this. And you have grown so much. And I've seen God do His work in your life. And this might be something that you continue to deal with for a long time. But God is transforming you. And one day you're going to be with Him. And He will completely remove it from your life. And you won't have to carry it anymore. I took a deep breath, and there's something, there's probably something in your life that if it was gone, like if you woke up tomorrow and that thing that you came in here carrying was gone, you didn't have to deal with it anymore, man, what, what a relief. How, how amazing would that be? how incredible would it be for that thing to be gone? Maybe it's the worry that overwhelms you. Maybe it's your fears, anxieties, trauma, pain. God at work in us, Is bringing all things under his throne. He is at work in transforming everything one day. When Jesus returns and sets up his heavenly kingdom on earth, I will rise and be with him, free from the corruption of sin. This is the picture of God's, the end of God's redemptive work. In the world, it is a world rightly ordered, sin destroyed, death destroyed. And this is what the scriptures speak about. This is what God spoke to Isaiah about a new heavens and a new earth. You see, the future dimension of the kingdom of God is a place where Christ literally reigns in the flesh over his creation, no longer corrupted by sin forever and ever. And ever and ever, it's a place where the kindness of God is experienced every day. And the Scripture is littered with this promise, this full promise of restoration in the world and in your life. Even in places, in in the places where you know we 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 read about this promise, um, we have little experience with it tangibly. It's hard for us to grasp. When we read about it being heaven, being a physically transformed earth, we we tend to mythologize it or spiritualize it, but we shouldn't. That's not an option, at least it's not supposed to be. You see, when when scriptures speak about the consummation of the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God, that future dimension of the kingdom of God, this is always what is pictured. This is the big picture of eternity, and it is this, a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ reigning on a resurrected earth. So, I want to encourage you to take notes, write down questions that come up, anything that you hear me say that, you, that makes you go, I've never quite heard, it, heard that before, or that's different from what I expected or believe. Because when I think about God's transformation work in my own life, I, I look forward to that day when I'm with Him. Like, that is the thing that I look forward to the most when I'm with Him completely made new. And this begs the question, why a new heavens and a new earth? Why is that an essential part of a Christian's hope? Why? Well, we read in the book of Genesis that God is creator and that before anything existed, God existed. And He created the universe and the stars and the moon and the earth, and He filled it with plants and animals. And on the last day, He he, he rested, the last day before He rested, He created you, me, people. It's the best creation of all. Of all His creation, we're the only ones who are made in His image. And Genesis 2-7 says something really important. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Here we find a definition of what it means to be human. What it means to be human is that we are both physical and spiritual. We are not spiritual beings wrapped in a body. We are physical beings that have a spirit or a soul. So, both body and spirit, that is our constitution. As it is, we weren't designed or created to inhabit a non-physical space. It's somewhat hard or impossible to imagine a non-place. The philosopher Plato, he, he proposed that we are spiritual beings housed in a physical body, that matter and spirit, they're diametrically opposed. He, he said that matter, the physical, was bad, but spirit, spirit's good. This is why Genesis 2.7 is so valuable. It tells us that we are both flesh and spirit. One is not superior to another, one is not subordinate to another. It means this, we are earth people. It's what we were made for. When God created us, He created us as earth people, and He dwelt with us. He did not create us and then whisk us away to be ethereal wisps with Him somewhere. Instead, He came to be on the physical earth that He created for you and I to enjoy with Him. And in the beginning, we were in perfect union with our Creator, and we are created to be a perfect reflection back to this holy, beautiful, loving God of what a marvelous and wonderful, wonderful Creator He is. But we rebelled against having God as our authority, as our King. We are created to be forever with Him in a physical environment, but in our rebellion, because of sin, God cursed our physical bodies with death and disease. This is so important. Death wasn't part of the original plan. Corruption is not a part of the original design. Pain is not the way it's supposed to be. And if we're to talk of God transforming, if we're to talk about Him restoring, then God's aim is to restore it all, all of it. So our rebellion against Him as King means means that we no longer work the way we were designed to work. The earth no longer works the way it was designed to work. It's all been corrupted. It's all been forced to endure the corruption of sin. You see, the present agenda of the kingdom of God is that we become the vehicle by which we call people to have Christ as King And as His ambassadors, we we are working to make justice and righteousness roll down like a mighty river. This is the goodness of God's design and the eventual consummation of the kingdom. And so from Genesis 3 on, the rest of the Scriptures, it all talks about this plan of restoration in your life and in the world. This is His plan, His plan of redeeming His creation, us and the earth. So, death then is a judgment on a rebellion. It is a just penalty for our sin. You see, in God's economy, sin is accounted for by death. So, Jesus' death then is, is a tangible offer of love an offering for you and I for forgiveness for our rebellion. But forgiveness is not the fullness of the story. Forgiveness is not full restoration. Forgiveness is necessary for restoration. And since restoration in Genesis 1 and 2, the story there, then Jesus dying for sin isn't the end of the chapter, but it's the first line in the next one. You see, if Jesus had merely died, He would not have redeemed anything. He would be, well, just dead. The penalty of a rebellion would live on, but full restoration is the body being freed from decay. See, the power of God to justify each one of us is in the resurrected body. So, the resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection of Christ, it shows us that not only did Jesus just die, die for sin, but He defeats the judgment of sin. He defeated death. And so, the resurrection of Christ is exactly why Paul can exclaim in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the resurrection fits with the story of God and our story if God does not redeem my body, He doesn't redeem me. If there is no resurrection, if my body is not raised up in the last judgment to be with a resurrected Savior, then there is no hope, there is no salvation. Sin has the last word if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And do you see why? Because God did not create your body to just trash it. He created it and made you both body and spirit. This is what it means to be made in His image and to have life. He created your body and spirit as a single unit, and that's what makes you, you. And complete transformation means this. In Christ's resurrection, you and I have the hope of being released from the effects of the fall, from sin and decay. And it has always been God's plan to make everything like it was back in the beginning where nothing keeps us, nothing stands in the way from us dwelling with Him in the fullness of who we are. And this has massive ramifications on all of creation. That's why in Revelation, the last book in Scriptures, it, the disciple John gives us a picture of the, this eternal heaven. The eternal heaven is the new Jerusalem. The eternal heaven is not where we have wings and and play harps doing nothing that people currently do. Instead, the picture of it is this heavenly city that comes down to a new restored earth, and in the middle of it is the tree of life. It is the picture of a new Eden, the one that we were banished from but made to inhabit. Here. Here in the culmination of the kingdom of God. All physical reality will be transformed and we will inherit a transformed creation with transformed bodies and God will dwell with a new humanity. In the end, the story in Scripture is very concrete. What we want and what we truly desire when we hope and when we long for fulfillment is exactly what the scripture promises for those who are in Christ Jesus. To say it plainly again, the big picture of eternal heaven, the future dimension of the kingdom of God is this, a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ reigning on a resurrected earth. And our lives are moving toward this picture of renewal. It's the renewal and the transformation of all things, You see, we long to be done with cancer. We long to be done with anxiety. There's a longing in each one of us to be done with the pain that we've experienced, to be done with despair, to be done with anger. We long for that. But the number one reason we don't long for heaven is because, well, because honestly, most people who say they're Christians, they have no idea about the biblical and historical depiction of heaven that we see in the Scriptures. Most of us, we we have some sort of platonic view that when you die, you become disembodied and you float around somewhere in the clouds. And that sounds a lot more like some vague Eastern mysticism than what Scripture pictures for us. And when my wife pictured me standing in God's presence renewed, I can imagine it. I can take it in a little bit. See, because the Scriptures are, are rich and full with this portrait of eternity, of it being a physical, tangible place precisely so that you can look forward to it. For many of us, we have a cartoon version of, of heaven that is just hard to shake, so we can't envision that God being forever incarnate in the physical person of the risen Lord we have a hard time imagining that heaven, the new heavens on the new earth, right? Heaven is where God reigns. And so, God's going to reign on a new earth that He's going to create. It will be be a real physical environment with civilization and culture where God dwells with His people. That's exactly how we need to think about it. This is the future dimension of the renewal of everything, everything. In writing about it, C.S. Lewis, he helps us imagine it. He says this, Death opens a door out of a little dark room. That's all the life we have known before it, into a great real place where the true sun shines and we shall meet. In in his book, The Last Battle in the Chronicle of Narnia series, I read this when I was adult as an adult because I became a Christ follower at nineteen, and it is it is incredible. <laughs> These books are unbelievable. In the last battle, he describes heaven like this. It is as hard to explain how this sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think of it like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of of the sea or a green valley that wound among mountains. And in the wall of that room opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones, yet in the same time, they were somehow different, deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story, in a story you have never heard but very much want to know. So the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed, and then he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. My best horse impersonation. Bree! Come further up. Come further in. See, what Lewis is doing is inviting us to imagine what the new heavens on the new earth will be like. When the king puts all things right, the new earth will be an utterly transformed place, a place of substance where resurrected and transformed men and women will stand and walk and talk and eat and plant and harvest and build cities. And my pancreas will work, and the deaf will hear and the blind will see, and maybe I'm going to have a big deck with porch parties. I'm going to be telling jokes that only me and Jesus think are funny, okay? Some things probably don't change, but it will be more weighty and real. It will be more alive. It will be a place of substance. The consummation of the kingdom, the future dimension of the kingdom of God, it will not be a place of disembodied spirits, spirits doing nothing that humans do now. It will be a place where everything we do now happens. Everything good happens without the baggage of sin and decay. Lewis only imagines a grand place because God draws us into it and invites us to imagine it with Him. Romans 8, Paul writes this, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that, will, that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God means God is going to train we are going to be transformed and the earth is going to be transformed so that we fit on this new place everywhere you look at every corner of the globe you can sense today that something has terribly gone wrong but something good is coming there is a glory that is coming that that in all of creation that will make the worst suffering seem inconsequential Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You see, the human stewards of earth plunged themselves into a free fall from the glory of all uh, of God, and all of creation just went with him. This is the curse. We are left with an ache for Eden, for something far better, which our senses can detect, but which seems so dim verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is far from wishful thinking. The creation will be set free. All of creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to decay. And it is blood-bought assurance. This same humanity that free fell from grace will rise again through the humanity of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's a rumbling for freedom, for justice, for everything to be set free, everything. Figuratively, everything is groaning for this freedom, every blade of grass, every sparrow, every tree, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of what? Our bodies. Did you hear that? Do you see it now? When Christ comes, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise first. You see, the resurrection is the hinge on which all sin, all suffering turns. You have to know this. God never minimizes your pain. He never minimizes what you've suffered. He takes it head on. This is the story of the cross and His love for you. Death, which used to be the sting, the penalty of sin, God even takes death and He turns it. He flips it on its head. Well, for the Christ follower, death no longer leads to complete eternal separation from God. Death opens up a doorway to paradise. It brings me right into His presence. The final and future dimension of God's kingdom is the new heavens on the new earth. It is a resurrected body. It is a resurrected life and a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ reigning on a resurrected earth. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked a little bit like this. See, the transformation that began in my life at 19 when I yielded my life to the King, it began slowly and Jesus began to reign over all of my dysfunction and my brokenness. But until you yield to him, And unless you yield to Him, you haven't given Him authority at all to start doing any of the work of making you new. See, God doesn't just meet us at the cross and leave us there. He enters into our lives so that we get a foretaste of the power of the resurrection to transform and restore. God doesn't just bring you to the cross and leave you there. But only when you harness your life to Jesus do the repairs in your life begin. And some of them might not be totally finished, totally complete until the day you meet them face to face. If you have yet to turn from your broken strategies for hope and healing and place yourself in Christ, what what keeps you from doing it? What keeps you from doing it? I'll tell you, it's probably something very real. It's probably something very important. It's probably something worth speaking out loud. God knew my barriers. He knows yours. But in His kindness and love, He wants to speak directly into that space. For you, if you know Jesus, can you can you picture the hope that's for you? Can you let him continue to do that restoration work? Will you long for a physical, tangible hope of the resurrection? Michelle's continued to help me, continually has helped me long for the day when I stand face-to-face with Jesus. You know, there's, um, there's no marriage in heaven. It makes cognitive sense, but emotionally, it's really hard for me to imagine I don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, like I, I hope I can build a cabin in the mountains by a stream that's right next door to her beach house. I think there's a place, Hawaii, is that like? I've never been there, but it sounds like Hawaii. But it will be there that I know fully just as I'm fully known. Will you guys stand with me as I close in prayer? Guys, I'm not sure what you're carrying today, what fears you have, or what pain in life you've experienced, or how damaged you think you are. You know, when we come that day into the physical presence of King Jesus, totally transformed, totally healed, I'll see it. I will see it. I will see the real you. you that God has been renovating with all the layers of sin and all the trouble and all the pain, all of that will be pulled back. They don't define you. It will not stick. And I think I'll be amazed because here today underneath all of it all, I've always seen the glimpses of who you are. But one day we'll all say, That's who you really are. And we will marvel at the Jesus who bore our sin and their worship a resurrected King. And so, Father in Heaven, we just pray. My unending prayer is that everybody who is standing here with me would be present in the fullness of your kingdom when you come to judge the living and the dead, that they would be with you. So, God, would you Have us to hope for you. God, would you continue doing that restoration work? Lord, would you help us to long for the day when we stand before you and you give us a white stone and on it is a name that is known only to me and you as you name me? How intimate of a day will that be? Lord, we worship you. We continue to worship you in song. We tell you we love you and adore you. In your name we pray, amen.